So uh, as we started last week, we are kind of in this quick little mini-series called Habits. And what we're trying to do with this, just like most things in life, it's always good to get a little tune-up from time to time. And in the summertime, rhythms change a little bit. It's an opportunity maybe for you to slow down, and it's an opportunity maybe for you to kind of reassess and reevaluate how you want the rest of your year to really kind of flush out. And so as our pastors got together and they were like, hey, let's focus on spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines, um, that's why we're focusing on that right now, to give you an opportunity to maybe just say, hey, is this something that I can reassess? Is there something I can tweak? Is there something that I can do or implement new in my walk with Jesus starting now and going through the rest of the year and the rest of our lives? Last week, Pastor Jim, if you were here, he talked about this discipline or habit of fasting and how it's so much more than just a weight loss program, but it's an opportunity for you to find yourself at a place where you become dependent on Jesus, where you find yourself looking to him in those hunger pains, in those moments when you wish you had that thing or whatever it may be, and you say, God, in this moment, I choose to commune with you and speak with you rather than fulfill this need I might have. Much like a sabbatical, whether you're in the business world or you're in ministry, a sabbatical, again, is an opportunity to remove yourself. It's a discipline to remove yourself. And in those moments when those thoughts pop up of like, oh, man, I didn't send that email. Oh, man, I didn't make that contact. Oh, man, I didn't finish that report. An opportunity to not have an excuse of not doing your job but an opportunity to simply say, Lord, I trust that you are in control. And I choose to trust that, and I will not worry, I will not stress, I will not hyper-focus on this one thing. In all these disciplines, all these habits, some of them you may be real familiar with. We talk about them a lot at church, and maybe if you've grown up in church, you kind of know what some of them are in general. Like reading your Bible on a regular basis. It's a really good habit to have, right? Can I get some head nods? Read your Bible. Pastor, I don't know what to do. Okay, well, have you gone to the scriptures about it? No, I'm just talking to people about it. Okay, well, let's go to God's word and let's see what it says, right? Prayer, right? Prayer is another spiritual habit, another spiritual discipline. What is prayer? Prayer is talking with and listening to what God has to say to us. It's also an opportunity for us simply to understand and deepen our relationship with him. And these habits are not checkboxes. The habits are not, hey, you know what? God is going to approve of me more if I am able to say, here's my resume of spiritual disciplines, Lord. Aren't you pleased with me? Look how all of these things that I do. Pastor Jim talked about that last week. That's not what it is that God's looking for. Think about it in the context of a relationship. For those of you who are married, right? Hopefully, you have a habit in your marriage where you are trying to get to know your spouse, if you don't know this yet, when you marry someone, that first day, you think you know everything about them. I do a lot of premarital counseling. Oh, pastor, there's nothing my future spouse can do that will ever make me not love them. Okay. <laughs> All right. There's a whole, it's called idealistic distortion. We won't get into that right now. But it's the reality that you're constantly learning about another individual. And you have to have habits in your relationship in order to deepen that understanding. You go on dates. You say, hey, in the morning, we'll talk. Hey, at the end of the day, we'll decompress and debrief about what's going on at work, what's going on in life. We'll make plans. We'll spend time together. We'll do all these different things, all for the purpose of not checking boxes to make sure we're good in our marriage, 
but because we actually love our spouse and because we actually desire to get to know them more and because we hope that they want to get to know us more as well. And what begins to happen is that your relationship becomes mature. Your relationship becomes stronger. Your relationship finds itself where there's not a lot of things that can mess with it. And that's what God desires with you and with I. He wants us to have this mature relationship with him where it's deep, it's strong. There's not a lot of things that can break it. When you look through the New Testament, you'll see over and over again mentions of you have to continue this working out of your faith. You have to uh, contend for the faith. Be prepared in season and out of season to give an answer and defense for your faith. Again, it's not let's check a bunch of boxes and be academically ready. It's my faith in who God is and who Jesus is and what he's called me to do is so strong. I know I have an answer. I know I have a word to be able to say. That's what God desires of you. He desires for your relationship with him to become much deeper and more mature. And that's really the role of church. The role of church is not meant to be for you to come kind of in this like professor and student relationship, right? Even though I'm up here and you guys are sitting down right here. What church is meant to be is us equipping you, church leaders equipping you to deepen and mature your faith seven days a week or six days a week. If your faith is built on the one hour and 15 minute sermon that you get weekly, I'm gonna tell you something, your faith is not very mature. It's not very strong. We are meant to equip you, to empower you, to show you, to highlight for you, to remind you, to uh, compel you, to proclaim to you the truths of who God is and where we find those truths and how you, on your own, can go and find the depths of who God is. That's spiritual habits. Those are spiritual disciplines. It should be a part of every believer's life. Think of it like a tool belt or a toolbox. You've got all these different tools to help you in your pursuit of Jesus and in your knowledge of who he is. The Apostle Paul, he talks about this uh, in one of his letters to the churches. He says, listen, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what Paul was trying to do was model for them what it is to live life by faith and also live life in the way that Jesus lived his life. Now, I don't know about you, but like trying to imitate Jesus, I'm really holy at that. Holy, not like perfect and spiritual and pure and clean, holy like Swiss cheese. I mess up a lot. And I think maybe some of us in here do as well. But the beautiful wonderful relationship we have with Jesus is that his grace and his mercy is sufficient for us. And he looks at us and he says, hey, yeah, you totally, what you did, what you said, how you thought, how you acted, that, that's not me. That's not how I live. That's not how I want you to live. Instead, turn and go this way. And that's the beauty of the gospel in that we are broken, fallen people, even as believers, even though our faith is there and our faith is true and genuine, we are still going to deal with sin. We're still going to mess up. And Jesus is there right beside us saying, hey, I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to show you, go in this direction. And he gives us 
the, the, the road or the pathways to be able to do that through these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual habits. So our culture is really focused on improving yourself, making life better, making your workplace better, making your home life better, making your physical appearance better, making your financial status better. Culture loves the self-improvement and this uh, how-to guides. Are we applying that same thing to our faith and our spiritual development and our spiritual maturity? So today what we're going to look at is one that's a little, it's a little odd, okay? I'm just going to throw it out there right now. It's a little odd. It's not one of the ones that gets talked about a lot. It's not one of the ones that people necessarily are super familiar with, but it's this habit and it's discipline of spiritual direction. Now, spiritual direction, okay? What is it? What is it not? And that's what we're going to kind of uncover and look at today. So to start that, I want to encourage you, open your Bibles with me. We're going to go to the book of Acts. Book of Acts really records for us the Acts of the Apostles, meaning the beginning of the church as we know it, okay? Acts occurs right after Jesus Uh, He's resurrected. He comes back to his disciples. He speaks to them. He gives them instruction and guidance. And he says, go out and begin to do my work. And so that's what they begin to do. And here in Acts chapter 13, we're a couple years in, and we begin to see more of what it is that God is orchestrating with the beginning of the church. So look with me here, Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So what do we see here in this passage, right? There's a group of disciples, a group of apostles gathered together, and they're worshiping and fasting before the Lord, right? There's a corporate setting that's happening here. There's a group of them together, right? How they were worshiping, what they were fasting from, What that looked like in that moment, we don't know. But all we see here is that they were together. There's a group of them, and they all have unique gifts. There's some who are prophets, some who are teachers. And they're just there together, seeking and worshiping Jesus. Kind of reminds me, and hopefully reminds you, of uh, what we call Pentecost, right? You go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 2, and you see that the disciples... They were in the upper room together. They were praying because Jesus had already told them before he ascended back to heaven. He told them, go back to Jerusalem, go into the upper room, stay there and wait for my power to come upon you. They weren't really sure what that was. They had heard some some hints of it. They had heard some kind of leanings toward it. Jesus earlier in his ministry had said, listen, I have to leave. I have to leave this place. Because someone else has to come in behind me. This person is the Holy Spirit. He will bring conviction of sin. He will bring an awareness and an illumination of what it is that God is doing. He will empower you with this supernatural strength. 
And so they were praying, and then it says that tongues of fire came upon their heads, and they began speaking in tongues, okay? And the only way that we know they were speaking in tongues is because they began speaking in front of a larger crowd of people, okay? So imagine they're in the upper room. There's fire and flames above their head, right? They probably go outside, and they start talking to everybody who's there. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that there was a crowd of people comprised of 16 different regions. Each of them had a unique language. Each of them probably had a unique dialect. But yet, all of these apostles began to speak in the language that those folks from all those different regions could understand. So this whole speaking in tongues thing right here at the very beginning, it's actually them speaking in different languages that weren't accustomed to themselves. And the crowd responds by saying, wait, aren't these men Galilean? Why is it that I can hear what it is that they're saying in my own language? This doesn't make sense. And notice what it is that they're doing in Acts chapter 2. What they're doing is they're saying, let us tell you about Jesus. Let us tell you about his death, his burial, the fact that he is resurrected, that he is alive today. And let us tell you about this reality that he comes to bring you forgiveness of sins. So the early church, the early apostles, as they have this leading from the Holy Spirit, they are doing so for the purpose of talking about Jesus. And it's kind of pushing the kingdom of God forward. Here's the thing that sometimes we can forget about. You, as a believer, you are meant to be living on mission. You're meant to be moving the kingdom of God forward in this world. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go into ministry. Please don't. I'm just kidding. You should. Um, it doesn't mean that you go into ministry and start serving at a church. What it means is, is that in your life, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, at the coffee shop, at the haircut place, wherever it is that you are, how is God potentially using you in that place and in those relationships to move the kingdom of God forward? This big idea for today is that the Holy Spirit, he speaks to us and he gives us clear direction in life. The Holy Spirit speaks and he gives clear direction. Now, anytime you start talking about the Holy Spirit, people kind of, you might get a little tense. If you're feeling a little tense right now, just take a deep breath with me. I promise everything will be okay. Because talking about the Holy Spirit, we really don't understand him very well. He's kind of one of those, uh, he's part of the triune. He's part of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How he operates, how he works, it's kind of like a pendulum swing, right? Maybe you've heard and maybe you've seen some people way over here on this side saying, hey, the Holy Spirit's very controlled, very reserved. Everything is black and white. It's super simple for me to understand him. And I feel way in control. And the Holy Spirit is like with a seatbelt on. I'm, I'm feeling good. And then you get the other side of the pendulum, which says, hey, you're not really a believer if you're not uh, moving by the Holy Spirit, if you're not dancing in the aisles, if you're not speaking in different languages, if you're not doing all these different things, if you're not doing that, then you're not really a believer. Okay? Those are two far extremes where we have to find ourselves because we see it here in the scripture. So we find ourselves kind of right here in the middle, right in this place of tension. Yes, the Holy Spirit speaks 
he can give us clear direction. He can give us a clear guidance forward. But yet sometimes moving forward like that is not going to make sense. Sometimes the way in which he makes that a reality for us doesn't really make sense to us, doesn't really make sense to other people. Sometimes he may lead us forward and it feels and kind of just seems a little odd because there's some like supernatural things happening. But the Holy Spirit speaks, he gives us direction, and he shows us where to go. Think about the Old Testament, okay? Let's think about the Old Testament for a moment. We have the Israelites in the Exodus, and they're being led out of Egypt, right? Do you remember what God gave to them to show them where to go? Pillars of smoke and pillars of fire. Follow this pillar of smoke. Follow this pillar of fire. You will know where to go. Just keep your eyes focused here, focused on me. And it wasn't as if one individual person necessarily was saying, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. Everybody just follow me, right? God was speaking through Moses, and God was using Moses as his mouthpiece. But in all the things that Moses said to them, Moses always brought it back to say, God is telling us to go this direction. God is showing us to do this. God is giving us this clear direction. Let's look for this pillar. Let's follow this, pil this pillar. And all the people corporately agreed, and they followed, and they obeyed to the best of their ability. And we know later in the story that they choose to turn away. They choose to follow their own thing and their own images instead of continuing to follow after what God was putting in front of them. So this discipline and this habit of spiritual direction, like how do we really get to it and where, like why is it even necessary and important? You see, I think sometimes we regulate spirituality in kind of an academic exercise. An academic exercise, what I mean by that is, hey, I'm going to ask God for clarity, God is going to give me clarity, and then I'm going to operate on that clarity. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that's what our spiritual lives actually look like? God, I have a question. God says, well, ask your question. I'm going to answer it right away for you. Okay, here's my question. Okay, now go, and here we go, and life continues on. I don't know about you, but that's not necessarily how my life has operated in my walk with Jesus. Sometimes I'm kind of left like, hey, God, I've asked you this for like three years. Where, where are we at in this? God, all of a sudden, this new opportunity is landing right in front of my feet. What do I do with this? Because they want an answer tomorrow, and if I don't give them an answer, I lose the opportunity. God, I really need you to operate really quick, and please just give me some answers right now. What spiritual direction is, is it kind of, it's a nuance, but it helps us kind of put things in a little bit of a different perspective. Let me give you a story. Uh, several years ago, um, my wife and I, we were serving at a church down in Texas, and I had another ministry opportunity presented to me. The place we were at, it was pretty hostile, and there was a lot of things going on, and everybody in the community could see it. And so we had uh, this other ministry opportunity come to us and say, hey, here's an offer for you. Just come. Get out of this place. Come over here. If you were looking at it from a very logical, black and white, A plus B equals C um, perspective, it made total sense to leave the negative place, go to the positive place, and life will be different and better and more at peace. But for some reason, 
we had this huge hesitation and we didn't understand what it was about. So we decided, hey, let's go away for the weekend coming up. Our kids were real young, so it was easy to get away like that back then. Um, and we went to this local resort. And we woke up the next morning, and I looked at my wife, and I said, well, see you in a few hours. Because our goal was, let's spend some time alone. We're at this resort. We don't have our kids. Let's each go off our separate ways, and let's ask the Lord to help us see what it is that he's doing in this moment. Why the sudden job opportunity? Why the feeling and struggle when it really makes sense for us to just leave? Let's try to figure out what it is that he's leading us towards, what direction he's giving us. So we go away separately. We come back after a few hours. And as we came back together and we began to kind of share what we each wrote down in our separate journals, the Lord led us both to the same passage of scripture that we hadn't talked about before, that wasn't in the you know, previous week's sermon. We both landed on the same passage of scripture. We both landed on the same takeaways from that passage of scripture. And we both felt committed like, hey, this makes no sense. But we're supposed to stay. That's what we sense the Holy Spirit is leading us to do in this moment. Have you ever done that before with your spouse? Where you ask your spouse, hey, let's pray very specifically and let's ask for direction on this vocational option. Let's ask for direction on where we should put our family. Let's ask for direction on whatever it may be in life. Maybe you've done that in your marriage, right? Maybe you've done that with your kids and you're talking about your kids and you're trying to figure out what to do with your kids. Maybe it's with your friends, right? Maybe in your life group or maybe in your community. Hey, I've got this thing presented to me. I've got this option in front of me. Can I invite you to pray with me? to pray with me. And I want, I want to kind of encourage you to think about the words that you use when you do this. Hey, will you help me find the answer? Will you pray and ask God to make it super clear to me what I, what I am supposed to do next? Instead of asking that, what if you ask your friend or your spouse, hey, I have this decision in front of me. Will you pray and ask the Lord to show you and to reveal to you what it is he's wanting me to do in this situation. You see the difference there? It's a little bit of a nuance, right? Instead of asking your friends to ask God to tell you the answer, you're asking and inviting your friends or your spouse to say, hey, ask the Lord what it is that he wants us to do, and then come back to me in a few days or weeks and let me know what you think the Lord has said to you. It's this idea where, again, we're not just looking for this clear-cut, simple answer, but instead we're inviting people into a decision-making process, and we're asking them that they would seek the Lord on our behalf and that they would find confirmation about what we are supposed to do in this situation. That's kind of a scary thing, and it's kind of a humbling and vulnerable thing to do. Right? Because we don't like to necessarily come off as if we don't know what to do or as if we don't really um, have the ability to make our own decisions. Right? But when we think about and we look at the scripture, all the time we see guidance from the Holy Spirit coming in a corporate setting. Not just corporate 
also individual, but there's always this opportunity for the Lord to affirm things in a corporate setting. I want to share with you guys a quote that'll kind of help frame this a little bit better. This is from Eugene Peterson. He's a theologian. He's written a couple books, pastor. I want to read this to you. The assumption of spirituality is that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it and participate and take delight in it. Let that kind of soak in for a moment. God is always doing something before I know it. Then our task is not to think of what needs to be done, but rather to become aware of what he's already doing. We have to be aware versus simply just asking for things to happen. Think about your prayer life for a moment, right? How often in our prayer lives are we asking God, God, show me what to do about this. God, give me an answer on this. God, help me to know this. God, show this person what they need to see. God, help this, help that, help that. But how often are we simply going before the Lord and saying, God, give me a sensitivity to see how the Holy Spirit is moving around me in all these different situations and moments. Think about the early church, okay? Going back to Acts. In the early church, they didn't ask God to start a movement. As they were worshiping God, God said, go down this road. Go plant a church over here. Go and anoint Saul and Barnabas to do this thing over here. The early church, the early believers were sensitive and they were aware of what God was doing around them and chose to say, God, as you move, show us where we can step behind you. As you move. So when we seek to become aware of what he is doing, rather than simply asking God to do something, we'll find ourselves on the edge, on the precipice of joining him in his plans. But why is this a discipline? It's a discipline because we have to consistently be asking and praying for those eyes, for the ears, for the perception of the Holy Spirit at work in and around us. It's a discipline. It doesn't come natural to us. It's maybe even a little hard to kind of understand right now in this moment. I, as I was studying and I was going through this this week, even I was struggling with it. Like, do, am I doing that right now? Do I do this in a, on a regular basis? Can I see opportunities around me? Am I sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing around us? And not only do we want to seek out guidance in life, not only do we want to seek out and be sensitive of what God is doing around us, but we also have to operate or we have to act on what it is that he leads us to. On what it is that he leads us to. Let me give you an example, maybe to kind of help make sense. Have you ever been delayed at a doctor's office? <laughs> yeah, everybody's laughing, right? 
It's true, right? Ever been delayed at a doctor's office? Ever been delayed at the uh, what, uh, Secretary of State, right? Everybody loves the Secretary of State. In those moments when you're delayed, in those moments where you're like, hey, the doctor says, show up here at 3 o'clock, and you're actually meet with the doctor at 345. Um, in those moments, what do we do? Let's check the old social media. I got a lot of texts all of a sudden, right? Let me scroll through here and find out what's happening. Oh, look, there's a magazine right over here that I don't pay the money for my own subscription, but the doctor's office does. So I'll just pick it up and take a little gander at it and just see what's going on in this world or that world. In those moments of delay, we seek probably things to fill the time, right? Maybe some of you are disciplined enough where you're like, oh, I've got 45 minutes. I'm going to pull out my Bible, and I'm just going to read my Bible for the next 45 minutes. Anybody do that? No one wants to be brave and raise their hand. It's okay if you do that, right? But what if you were meant to be delayed in that moment? What if you were meant to be delayed at the doctor's office for 45 minutes? Because maybe there's a family or another individual sitting to your left or to your right, and all you simply have to do is look over and say, don't you love waiting at the doctor's office? This is really great. And you strike up a conversation. Or at the Secretary of State, rather than pulling out your phone or pulling out whatever to try to distract yourself, what if you just kind of look around? And maybe ask this, God, what is it that you're doing here in this delay? Holy Spirit, is there someone here that you want me to talk to right now? Is there an opportunity that I have here? Another example, think about a restaurant that you go to all the time right? Why do you go to that restaurant all the time? Hopefully it's because you like the food, right? But if you're in the restaurant industry and you see a person always come all the time, you know what you get called? You're a regular. They know your order. They know what you like. They know how, how long you're going to be there. They know what you're going to tip. They just kind of see and they're like, okay, I know who you are. All right, this will be an easy, you know, table to service or whatever. But what if you, because you love the food so much, you always keep going there. What if you began to think about, God, you've given me a love for this food. That's a great thing, to, by the way, to tell your doctor. Like, hey, the reason why my weight is the way that it is because God gave me a love for food, and this is what I'm doing. I just go to the restaurant all the time. But what if it's, God, I keep going to this place. Am I supposed to do something different here? Are there wait staff that I'm supposed to talk to? Are there kitchen staff that I'm supposed to wave at every time I go in and say hi? God, is there something different? Is there something beyond me just going and eating at the same place all the time and saving money? Are you moving in this restaurant? Are you moving in this place, Holy Spirit, to where maybe one day one of the wait staff come and sit down at your table and they say, hey, you're one of those pastor guys, right? You, you like do stuff at that church? Yeah, it's my part-time job, right? Yeah, they, yeah, that's me. Okay, sweet. Hey, I want to tell you, it kind of, there's like some weird, like supernatural spiritual things happening around me. And I met this person and they started talking to me about Jesus. And it's really kind of caused me to question some things. I want to I know if I can come to your church on Sunday. Maybe that's why you're there at that restaurant. And Lord willing, that 
wait staff or that manager of that restaurant, they're going to be here at the 11 o'clock service today. So think about that, right? Kind of, I hope you're tracking with me here. As we start to ask for sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is doing around us, what begins to happen is we start to have this, this kind of spiritual guidance and direction around our lives. Holy Spirit, show me what to do in this place. Holy Spirit, show me what to do in this place. And as we look in the New Testament and we look at the early church and we look at the formation of the church, we see that happen all the time. Take a, take a, uh, we're going to go on a quick little road trip through the scriptures, okay? We'll have it up on the screen. If you're taking notes, you can write them down and go back later and look. But I want to show you guys um, just how much the Holy Spirit is active and involved in the early church, right? Acts chapter 13, later down in verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Okay? What's happening here is that Paul is basically in a confrontation with a sorcerer or with a magician, right? Most of us in those kind of moments would be like, all right, peace out. Like, I'm, I'm going to go my own way. What Paul is doing is he's directly confronting this individual. And the Holy Spirit is filling him with the words and with the knowledge of what to say and what to do. Let's go back to Luke chapter 4, right? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and then what? Was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, look at Luke chapter 12. This is Jesus again talking. When they bring you, he's talking to his disciples, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Don't be anxious about it. You don't have to try to recall all of your, you know, vacation Bible school songs and everything else. Like, the Holy Spirit's going to bring this stuff to mind. He'll show you what it is that you need to say in response. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Again, Jesus here is saying, recognize that the Holy Spirit is going to come and give you direction and guidance on what to do and what to say. Romans chapter 8, this is Paul. Paul's writing, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we don't know what to pray, for as for we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We could do a whole year's sermon series on just these two verses right here. But have you ever had those moments when you, you know you have to pray, but you just don't know what to pray about? You ever had that moment before? What Paul's saying here is that in those moments, the Holy Spirit will come and he will bring the words for you to say. And that the Lord will hear it and the Lord will know. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then 1 Corinthians 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits. 
another various kinds of tongues, another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. Hopefully your feathers aren't getting a little rustled right now. You're, you're not going back to your tense state. The reality is, is that as believers in Jesus, for those of us who have faith in Jesus, that he was dead, he was buried, he rose again, that he offers forgiveness of sins, that we are then given the Holy Spirit to live in this world for kingdom purposes. And as he leads us, as he guides us, he expects us to act on those things that he leads us to and guides us to. Let me read this quote to you. This is from um, a lady at Tyndale University Seminary up in Canada. And listen to what she says. Spiritual direction is helpful to the body because it takes us back to our biblical roots in the way of being the church. It gives expression of the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers that God speaks to and through all of us and that we are called to be ministers to one another. It is a reminder that spiritual gifts are dispersed throughout the body and are to be called forth and exercised. It helps bring balance to our view of ministry, not clergy-focused, and of what it means to belong to the body of Christ. And so it pushes both individuals and the body of believers towards maturity. And in essence, this is where this discipline of spiritual direction and spiritual guidance comes into play. You do not have to be dependent on the leaders of your church. Let me say that again. You do not have to be dependent on the leaders of your church. If you're a believer and a follower of him, you are part of the priesthood. You are a minister of the gospel. You have spiritual gifts about you. You have the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you have the opportunity by his direction and his guidance, to minister and serve other people that God puts in front of you. What would it look like if people didn't call the church office to say, hey, I need you guys to go and, and uh, serve this person's house by doing all this yard work. I need you guys to go and do that. What if instead they, that person said, hey, my life group that we're a part of, this community of people we're a part of, we see a need over here. Let's go and serve this people, this, uh, this person over here, and let's help them out in this way. Imagine what it would look like. You've got something really hard going on in your life, and instead of just looking to a pastor to say, I need your guidance, I need your wisdom, I need your counseling in this, instead, you go to people that you're connected to in community, and you say, will you pray alongside of me? that I would hear clearly what it is that Jesus wants me to do in this moment. If you're a believer, you're part of the priesthood of believers. You have the opportunity to minister to other people. So how are you, as the individual, how are you leaning on this community of believers for guidance? Not for them to be your counselor, not for them necessarily to give you advice, but to say, hey, will you pray alongside of me? And ask the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord to help me to know what to do next. And as we do that, what's going to begin to happen is we'll have the sensitivity to what God is doing all around us. And that requires discipline. 
It requires it being a habit every single day. Father, help me to see what it is that you're going to do around me. Holy Spirit, help me to be sensitive to what it is that you tell me to do in that moment. And Holy Spirit, give me the courage and the fortitude to move forward and to do that thing. As a church, if we start to practice this, I think what we'll begin to see is ministry and movement, just like the early church, just expound all across our area. And I hope that you're ready and that you want to be a part of doing something like that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that there are things that we struggle with in it. We thank you that we have the opportunity to learn from it and to grow by it and to be um, strengthened by it. And Father, as we consider this reality that you're always at work, would you help us be sensitive to what you were doing around us, what you're doing in us? And Father, would you remind us that we are ministers of the gospel, that we are part of this priesthood of believers, and that you've empowered us and gifted us to serve your people well. So Father, help us in those moments. Help us to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Thank you that you do speak. And thank you that you're always with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song, think about the words and focus on what it is to truly celebrate and worship and listen to the spirit of the living God.